This is Remembering Yugoslavia, the show exploring the memory of a country that no longer exists. I'm your guide, Peter Korchnak. There's something very peculiar at the entrance of the residential building at Dunajska Cesta or Vienna Road, number 59 in Ljubljana. You might miss it between a pet food store and a bottle shop, as I did even though I knew what I was looking for and where, and even as I was looking right at it. Many local residents don't know about it either. Flanking the door underneath layers of urban ages and graffiti tags, there are two inscriptions, each consisting of a single word written vertically in all caps with what may have once been red paint, but is now faded and dirty and barely decipherable. On the right, Tito, T-I-T-O. On the left, Stalin. That's right, S-T-A-L-I-N, Stalin. What am I even looking at? Who wrote these and when? How do these words exist on this wall in 2021? Before I get to all the answers, as always, this episode of Remembering Yugoslavia is brought to you by you. Thank you to everyone who has signed up to support me and Remembering Yugoslavia on Patreon or donated on the website via PayPal. Today I welcome new patron Damir. If you like the show and wish to support its production, join these generous people at patreon.com slash rememberingyugoslavia or donate one time at paypal.me remembering you. That's paypal.me slash remembering you. As a child, I was witnessing punk in Slovenia. It was a very uh, nice movement. I mean, nice. For me, it was uh, picturesque. It was interesting. And that's the time when I first saw graffiti, peace, and uh, stuff like the anarchy. That was my first introduction to graffiti. At that time, there weren't many of them. They were really removed very quickly. Helena Konda is a lifelong Ljubljana resident and the author of the book Graffiti in Ljubljana, History, Graffiti Artist, City, published in Slovenian in 2017. And in the 80s and the 90s, the hip-hop movement came and it made graffiti more popular and also at that time political graffiti. There was an explosion of graffiti, especially in Ljubljana, but also in other cities, in other towns. It was her involvement in the local street art scene that inspired Helena to explore the history of graffiti in Ljubljana. In the late 90s, early aughts, she led a variety of art workshops among which the graffiti writing one was the most popular. At the time, the local government permitted and even occasionally financed the creation of street art around the city. The street art and graffiti you see in Ljubljana today continues a tradition dating back to World War II. The explosion of graffiti movement was in 1941 and especially 42 during Italian occupation. In the Second World War, today Slovenia was divided among Germany, Italy, and Hungary. Ljubljana was in the Italian territory and the center of resistance to the occupation. One method the resistance distributed its messages in Ljubljana and some larger towns was writing on walls. There are still some survivors, some people who did graffiti, who were able to personally tell me what they were doing. People organized. They were usually uh, formations of three activists together. Two were on the watch and one was painting, quickly doing the signs. So they really organized. It was a guerrilla tactic. And they were so efficient uh, with this street art, proto-street art that they were doing. The Italians, they were really uh, believing that they were on the brink of uh, partisan attack. So at one point, uh, the whole city transformed into an avant-garde theater. So what were these resistance fighters writing? 
I looked into the archives. There were fantastic photos. There is not a lot of photos because it was forbidden to do photos then too. I mean, the graffiti is so fragile, even though it's very violent intervention into the public space and it gets lost sometimes in a few minutes, sometimes in a few years, but it's not something that it's preserved in normal circumstances. I made a categorization. The first uh, were uh, graffiti that were neutral. For example, during the occupation, there were a lot of signs changed and they were making fun of the signs. They were transforming Italian words into funny Slovene words. Next category was resistance graffiti that was the largest group, but also the quickest to disappear, mostly just OF, the letters of the resistance organization. There were long-lived liberation and long-lived like Stalin, Tito, Red Army. It was like advertising of the resistance movements and ideas, or maybe just down with fascism, up with communism, stuff like that. Those graffiti that were made as a sign of activists, they were at first uh, removed by the soldiers, Italian soldiers in the morning. And later there was a decree that the owner of the building has to remove graffiti by 11 o'clock or else they would get punished and punishments got really severe then. So they were really systematic by the removing of graffiti. The other side was using walls for propaganda too. There were also collaborationists graffiti, but they were not really using graffiti so much. They were more scratching it down and using posters. And also one category is the, uh, the graffiti of the occupation site, because they were writing, for example, will kill Stalin or well stuff like that. But there were really not a lot of them. There were graffiti that were made when the liberations of towns happened. So the towns were covered with graffiti, but they were made with chalk. So it was washed down in a few days or weeks at least. As a celebration, it was an organized event. It was during the parades of partisans coming to town. And the special group is those post-war graffiti on the liberated places, because they were basically written in the time of fragile peace, Nobody was shooting at them. They didn't have to run for their lives. OF, the Liberation Front, became the government, basically. So they still used this medium technique, but it was now hegemonic point of view. It wasn't a deficit of communication. So they used graffiti for support of government actions. I mean, they just painted over the old graffiti. After the war, the city underwent a rebuilding effort. It expanded and grew, and the writings on walls were no longer of use. After Slovenia became independent, Vienna replaced Tito as the name of the road where Stalin and Tito remained the only graffiti in Ljubljana to survive since the 1940s. So how is it possible the duo made it this far? Graffiti has always been seen as on the brink of vandalism. It's either street propaganda or vandalism. So that's not something that you preserve. That's not a monument. I think it stayed there because people who live there aren't against it because there's a lot of revisionists in Slovenia, a lot of people who don't share fond memories on that period, and they would like to eliminate the memory of that time of the resistance, the partisans and everything. So I think that it stayed there because people who live there 
haven't been against that, but it doesn't look that it would be restorated. Ovaj glasom malako je prepoznat To su verbalne perverzije Ko šest, devet poza Sranj ne ulazi u mozak Prži zvoje neurone I ne se spada što da te je lupi ostalone To su takve lajne koje ostaju zapamćene Za razliku od drugih repera Ne baca pančeve Nego ninja mačeve Oštrice pozlačene Širim hip hop ko što babe šire tračeve I znam da nisam dobar pjesnik Ni liričar Od kada ima majk situacija je kritična Zato što sam prebolestan iza hausa Imam tajne moći kođim kerijeva Maska, ori Gigi Tyson Ovi sliko repuje na ljubav je za ovo Ali ljudi to ne žeku ne Nikio, radi ovo flowski Lagano te nosi Tobom sad upravlja jer flow je kao joystick Jedna rima ti si u hipnozi Cijepi u vlak hipopa koje Gerik vozi Sve do zadnje stanice Koja ne postoji ovo sranje nema granice Pa pusti beat yo Pusti beat yo Pusti pusti beat yo Pusti beat yo Pusti pusti beat yo Pusti beat yo Pusti pusti beat yo Yo that was Pusti Beat, a 2011 track by Dem Crew, a defunct hip-hop collective from the Istria region. As with the two songs I'll play later, Mi Volimo Soul by Soundcheck Regas and Kalma, the vocals were courtesy of my next guest, Riki U, aka Eric Ušić, soon to be PhD. It was he, along with Mitya Velikonia, who pointed me to the graffiti on Dunajska Cesta after his lecture at the University of Ljubljana on the subject of his dissertation, the 1940s political graffiti in Istria. If you think that's amazing, Eric told me about Stalin Tito, come to Vodnjan, his hometown, and I'll show you graffiti. And so a few days later, I meet Eric in this medieval town 10 kilometers north of Pula for a tour of more Stalins and Titos on walls I ever imagined. Born in 1992, Eric grew up in Vodnjan. Where I live all my life. Vodnjan was always my my base. Even now, I mean, when I'm doing this research around this tree, I think Vodnjan is the perfect base for me to stay and to roam around the region. Smješten na jugozapadu Istarskog poluotoka, tek desetak kilometara od Pule, Vodnjan i okolica predstavlja... Population 6100 Vodnjan, or Dignano in Italian, has been a hub of olive oil production for centuries, dating back to Roman times. The town's other agricultural product is rosé wine. Vodnjan's importance as an agricultural center declined in the mid-19th century when the Pula shipyard was built. Together with most of western Istria, Vodnjan was included in Italy after the first and in Yugoslavia after the Second World War. My family background is mixed up. Uh, my mother is from uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina. My father is half Italian, half Croatian. My grandmother was Italian and this Italian cultural background influenced me the most uh, since I finished Italian elementary and high school in Vodnjan and then in Pula. And I grew up uh, in a bilingual context as a bilingual uh, person. So for me, Italian and Croatian are my mother tongues. Eric leads us through cobblestone streets squeezed among houses from assorted periods spanning centuries, from the Venetian Gothic and Renaissance to more recent Baroque remodels and additions. On a January weekday morning, that's January 2020, we walk mostly in shade, under winding paths of clear blue sky and an occasional wash of slanted sun rays. 
The inland town doesn't get the food traffic of coastal Rovin or Porec, and so the streets are nearly deserted, giving it an impression of a sleepy place. It's more or less like this all year, Eric says. Tourists arrive in the morning, walk around, buy a bottle of olive oil, and head for the next stop. During the tour, Eric greets passersby, effortlessly switching between Croatian and Italian. Italians comprise some 17% of Vodnian's population, one of the highest concentrations in Istria. I'm curious how Eric became interested in 1940s graffiti. Yes, the hip-hop subculture had uh, a very strong influence on my perception of of, uh, the social environment and uh, social relations, as well as, uh, I don't know, a way to express myself. As you know, graffiti are constitutive part of of, uh, the hip-hop subculture. Let's say it's uh, the main visual element. So uh, I was involved in two bands. And uh, besides making music and writing uh, lyrics and rapping, uh, we did some hip-hop programs and manifestations here in Vodnjan, so on a local level. The focus was both on the rap music part, but uh, mostly on breakdance and uh, graffiti writing. And uh, I grew up with a very close friend of mine who is a graffiti writer still today, and he's still still writing around. And I was often with him I don't know, during the night uh, bombing or drawing some, some pieces. I developed slowly this uh, perception of space by graffiti writers. I think that I, I borrowed from them, even if I never wrote myself. I tried sometimes, but I got used to writing lyrics instead of writing on, on the walls, so I chose the, 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 the paper. How did you go from rapping to studying 1940s graffiti? Actually, the situation is, is very simple because I just turned from one graffiti expression to another one, yes, from a subcultural to a political one. And for me, it seems logical. I mean, I saw them before I started to do this, let's say, more systematic uh, research about them. But uh, as I like to say, I never noticed them. I mean, I never stopped and said, okay, what are these writings and what are they communicating? Who wrote them? When? Why? How? So I started four or five years ago asking some questions about these writings and started to dig a little bit in literature, but I simply found uh, nothing. I mean, nothing concrete about this political graffiti. And then I simply started to notice them more and more and more. Istria was a contested region in the first half of the 20th century. Until World War I, the peninsula was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. After World War I, Istria was awarded to Italy. From the 1920s on, the Mussolini government implemented something called border fascism here, which entailed forcible Italianization of the Slavic population and radical anti-Slavic policies, including closures of schools, prohibitions of Croatian and Slovene languages, as well as executions of local socialists and communists. A large Italian immigration from the Apennine Peninsula also took place in this interwar period. In absence of any method of precisely dating them, slogan semantics are significant, Eric explains. What the writing says can help place it in a particular period and a particular political goal. In World War II, the Yugoslav communists helped organize the local resistance movement. The partisan graffiti was a means of symbolic struggle, Eric says. It helped visualize the resistance movement, complementing newspapers and theater as mass media and propaganda tools. So this graffiti that I'm uh, researching, uh, they can be actually divided in three categories. So we have the partisan graffiti, 
so graffiti that were written by partisans or by uh, resistance activists that were writing anti-fascist uh, messages on the wall, trying to mobilize people, uh, signalizing their presence uh, in towns, villages, and in the territory in general, trying to provoke the, 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 the fascist uh, local governments, since the, the fascists too had their own visual projections of their uh, ideology and government. They'd write slogans like the first one Eric shows me on Trgovačka ulica, Market Street. Viva la Armata Rossa. Long live the Red Army, with Viva abbreviated into two overlapping letters V forming an odd W. Like this one, the vast majority of graffiti are made using red paint. Black was used sometimes as well, and there are a few rare ones in white or blue paint. Basically, whatever paint the writers could find around a house or in shipyards or even homemade paints made from a mix of earth, lime, and water. Hi there, it's me, Peter Kochnag, the creator and producer of Remembering Yugoslavia, with a snapshot of the making of the podcast. I interview people across the Balkans and beyond, do a great deal of research, writing, recording, editing, and when possible traveling to the region, to bring you the stories of this podcast two to four times a month. It is your support that makes this reporting possible. It is you who helps keep alive the memory of the country that no longer exists. Ensure I can cover the next important story by supporting me on Patreon. Please go to patreon.com slash rememberingyugoslavia to become a monthly supporter now. Or donate one time at paypal.me slash rememberingyou. That's paypal.me slash rememberingyou. All right, back to the graffiti. After Italy capitulated in 1943, Tito's nascent government proclaimed their plan to include Istria in post-war Yugoslavia. It was in this period that the writing of slogans on walls, parole, intensified. The second group is uh, the liberation part uh, of graffiti, so graffiti that were written during the liberation phase by local activists or by partisans coming through the liberated territory. Including Viva Dignano Liberata, Long Live Liberated Vodnian, or another Italian inscription that says so, Dignano, this town, Vodnian, uh-huh. the name in, Ita- uh-huh. in Italian is Dignano, ha dato 206 combattenti nell'esercito di Tito, so this town gave 206 fighters to Tito's army. Followed by fragments, Eric surmises completed the inscription with to place Istria in Yugoslavia. Another frequent slogan on Vodnian's walls anticipating Istria's post-war demarcation as a Yugoslav territory with further westward expansion is Trieste Belgrado, or Trieste Belgrade, or elsewhere around Istria, Trieste is ours. Indeed, because authors had little time and space to do the work, most graffiti are short and punchy. It was after the war that graffiti writing truly exploded in Istria. The victorious allies negotiated various plans of Istria's territorial division. In March 1946, they sent a commission of experts to Istria to assess the situation on the ground and recommend where the border between Italy and the newly formed socialist Yugoslavia should be. The third and final phase of graffiti writing was uh, the post-war, so the immediate post-war period, and that was a very massive project of uh, writing on the walls around not only Istria but Slovenian littoral too, Trieste and uh, Rijeka, since uh, this region was disputed between Italy and Yugoslavia. The local communist organization and various pro-Yugoslav uh, subjects, but mainly the, the communist uh, organizations, organized massive propaganda activity of writing pro-Yugoslav graffiti on the walls across Istria. And the majority of the these graffiti that survived until today were made uh, exactly in this context. 
The Inter-Allied Commission's route through Istria was unknown, so locals who wanted for Istria to be included in socialist Yugoslavia rather than post-fascist Italy hedged their bets and flooded the most likely routes with slogans. Hundreds of thousands of graffiti expressing a pro-Yugoslav orientation welcomed the commission wherever they went. On Castello Street, a thoroughfare in central Vodnjan, most houses bear some graffiti. Siempre con Tito, always with Tito. Vogliamo vivere in Yugoslavia, we want to live in Yugoslavia. Viva Tito, right across the street from a church, no less. If we talk about post-war graffiti, the main goal was, on the one hand, to declare our position to be pro-Yugoslav, so we want to live in Yugoslavia, we want uh, Tito, Tito is ours. The most uh, common, let's say, subject on the wall, it's uh, the claim for Yugoslavia, you know, the, so uh, let's say a call for annexation, for a Yugoslav annexation or a Yugoslav solution of uh, the region. There is, I think, a nice slogan that somehow is a, is a condensation of all these uh, feelings and aspirations and ideological discourses that says it is not Tito that wants Istria, it's uh, Istria that wants uh, Tito. So uh, we are the ones who want to, to live in Yugoslavia or there are writings saying we fought so we can live in Yugoslavia. It's impossible to say how much the slogans influenced the commission, but Istria ended up in Yugoslavia, so there you go. Slogans around Vodnjan are written almost exclusively in Italian. Elsewhere around the peninsula, as another population movement got underway, this time of more than 200,000 Italians back to their mainland, including most of Eric's grandmother's family, and as the Yugoslav nationalist fervor increased, the language of the slogans shifted from Italian to Croatian. Another shift was from communist graffiti associated with the Soviet Union, like hammers and sickles and Stalins, to Yugoslav-oriented ones, like Red Stars and Tito's. Hammer sickles and Stalins were also more likely to be eliminated during socialism for being too closely connected with the Soviets, and then after 1991 with communism. Symbols are indeed worth a thousand words. On Pian Street, perhaps the biggest graffito in Vodnjan says in Italian, we want the implementation of the Atlantic Charter to be respected. The 1941 document, which outlined the American and British vision of post-war Europe, included provisions prohibiting territorial expansion and changes against the will of area residents. Beneath the slogan are a red star and a hammersickle, now partly obscured behind a downspout. And, between two shuttered windows, also in Italian, always with Tito. The three-story house with a backyard is for sale, Eric says. He'd love to have a hundred thousand euros handy to buy it and establish a museum of Istrian anti-fascism. The exhibition would start at the building's facade before you even enter the museum. I'm 
stvari sreću u ljubav It's like that, yo, to je pravo vrijeme od skola Yes, yes, yo, back in the days, it's all rula I jajmo sada svi na jedan, dva, tri If you know what I mean, ja sam vaš MC Koji prati ovaj beat, it jera vas na ples Are you ready for the pravi show, oh yes It's interesting to see how were they created. So to notice some aesthetical, technical and stylistic uh, nuances of their writers, because there are some examples where you can see that the writer was probably an Italian trying to write in, in Croatian or a Croatian or Slovene trying to write in Italian. It's saying uh, much about the, the cultural, social contexts and the social dynamics of the period. Like Helena in Ljubljana, Eric got a chance to speak with actual graffiti writers around Istria. It was not an easy task to find people who wrote graffiti. Uh, first, because as it is for modern subcultural graffiti and political graffiti, for many of them you can't find the author, especially if when you go around the town, you see a writing and how do you know who wrote it? That's the same with uh, the wartime and post-war graffiti. There were hundreds of people writing them, and I mean, you can't know who wrote each one of them, and it's very difficult to start. Whom do you ask, and how do you even find someone who saw uh, someone writing and not uh, who actually wrote something on the wall? But Eric got lucky. A friend's grandfather turned out to be a parole writer. Then a man he met on one of his field trips introduced Eric to a neighbor who had written some of the slogans in that town. And when the local paper Glas Istre interviewed Eric about his research, he had them include his phone number in the three-page spread, which prompted a phone call from a man whose mother-in-law had been a resistance activist. And unfortunately, two of my interviewees uh, uh, died uh, during the, the first lockdown, but they were not affected by corona, but the time did its part. When I asked them about uh, how it was to write on the walls, they, they uh, wanted to talk about some bigger issues. For them, these writing on the walls were only some fragments of all these, let's say, collective and individual experiences during the war. Even if I insisted to, to talk about graffiti, they wanted to talk about, I don't know, Tito, Stalin, uh, Hitler, the fascists, uh, and so, let's say, bigger, bigger narratives. And they were uh, somehow amazed by my interest in these writings on the walls. And uh, I was especially uh, insistent, insisting to if they can share with me some of these war, wartime experiences because these types of war experiences are not present in historiography. Usually we can find some experiences by partisans, by journalists, by intellectuals, by artists, but experiences by people who actually risk their own life to write we want Tito or long live uh, Stalin or uh, 
uh, I don't know, f- death to fascism, freedom to the people, to write that on the walls of their villages and towns and to risk their life because I found some written testimonies in some documents where people were shot while they were uh, writing, uh, people were uh, arrested and so on. So I think that this uh, courage and hazardous uh, activity is uh, actually fascinating because it shows how the resistance move- movement fought not only with uh, weapons but with uh, words and i often try to imagine myself in this wartime context waking up in the morning going out uh, on the street and suddenly in seeing i don't know 20 red graffiti saying long live tito and death to fascism i think that it's a it's an impressive it's an impressive uh, experience the graffiti eric says were a way of documenting lived experience and social memory They were a political practice that visualized ideology in the built environment. In the post-Yugoslav context, corresponding practices included the renaming of streets, the damaging or destroying of monuments, and yes, the writing of new graffiti. If Vodnian is pretty much an open-air museum of these painted slogans, I wonder how many 1940s graffiti there are in all of Istria. In two years, I visited more than 200 uh, cities, towns, villages in uh, Istria and in 125, let's say, locations. In general, I found uh, 1,251 surviving uh, graffiti. And then I divided them into the, let's say, readable ones, so the graffiti that are uh, mostly intact and understandable. That's the, the majority of them, there are almost 700 of them, and uh, in them I include the red stars and flags, that the red star or the hammer and the sickle is a symbol whose meaning and context background is very clear. There are 95 full graffiti in Vodnian alone, almost 14% of the history in total. And there are fragments, so graffiti where you can see only a word, for example, long live, but there is no continuation, so you simply can't deduce what was the, the full message. 36 of 241 fragmented graffiti, or 15%, are in Vodnian. And then there are the, the graffiti that are only traces or faded uh, so much that you simply can't understand the message. But uh, you can understand that uh, they are uh, graffiti from the period since they are mostly located near fully understandable graffiti or only fragmented uh, graffiti. These are letters or fragments of letters faded into various tints of pink or black, gradients blending into the gray or tan plaster clinging to the historic homes, or simply interrupted by broken plaster or repairs done to buildings. Damaged graffiti can be difficult to decipher, but Eric documents and tries to decode the fragments too. Even as these graffiti succumb to the tooth of time, as the local expression goes, the fact that hundreds still remain 70-75 years since they were first created fills me with awe and prompts my most important question. I often ask not, not only how these graffiti survived until today, but how did many graffiti about Stalin survive the 1948, the rupture between the Soviet Union and Yugoslavia and, and its uh, repercussions. So many of these graffiti, so glorifying uh, Stalin, are still present until today. So they survived uh, this, let's say, the first rupture in 1948 and uh, the second rupture in, in the 90s. The survival of this graffiti is uh, is actually a question that I don't even know how to, even if there is a possible answer. I think one of the the answers could be that uh, many people moved away after World War II and uh, many of these uh, graffiti that still survive until today are uh, located on 
empty houses or ruins or uh, simply objects that are not uh, very much in use, but uh, many of them are uh, located on houses where people still live today. So that's, I think, plausible only in part, not as a full answer. The crucial point is that these graffiti are located on private property. The local government and municipalities can't simply say to someone, okay, you have to erase this writing. And that's why no one is even interfering with these facades. All that said, more than the historical context, Eric is interested in how people perceive and interpret these slogans, how they interact with the graffiti, how these writings activate their mental maps, how they perceive space, and how that perception changes once the graffiti enters their consciousness. On the one hand, these slogans are painted in large letters. They were meant to be seen and read from afar, so you often have to step back to see them. On the other hand, most are painted above ground floor windows and doorways. That's where the space was, and that's where they're harder to see in the course of everyday life, as well as harder to remove. It is this lived experience of the graffiti that too goes a long way toward explaining their longevity. It is possible that uh, people living in the streets where these graffiti are present, or in towns where graffiti are present, we are used to many different expressions on the walls of our cities, towns, uh, you get used to the writings on, on the walls. And I think that people through time, uh, as they get habituated to this quantity of, of graffiti, they start to simply don't uh, bother about what is written on the walls. So people just got used to some of these writings and uh, they simply didn't notice them after a while. I had some experiences during my fieldwork where I talked with some persons living in a house on whose facade is written, I don't know, Tito, Stalin, Yugoslavia, and so on. And they were actually amazed that I noticed that. Many of them told me, oh, I forgot that it's here, or even I never noticed this writing until you asked me. As the sociologist Georg Simmel would say, there there is this blasé feeling where you are simply not not noticing things around you, let's say, because you are focused on your own habits and everyday life, and you just go 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 and don't don't look too much around you and leave all these sensations <laughs> for specific situations. They don't spend their time thinking about them, and uh, when I talk with them, they need a little bit just to focus and to say, ah, okay, you mean. Okay, this uh, long Tito long ah yes, I I know what what are these these writings. So I think that this, as I, I told before, these graffiti are let's say uh, visual parts of uh, their communities. Near Vodnyan's main square, we run into three boys, aged perhaps ten or twelve, bouncing a football off of buildings. After we chit chat a bit, Eric points to the Istria once Tito graffito on a nearby house and asks the boys if they know what it is. They actually can't see it, so I approach the wall and outline the letters with my hand. Finally, their eyes refocus, and they exclaim with recognition and tell us all about other similar writings they've seen in adjacent streets. Just like Eric's perception of his town changed, theirs did too, and they started to notice something they hadn't noticed before. Most people just walk by these graffiti without paying any attention to them, Eric says. Indeed, of over 5,000 photos on Instagram with the hashtag Vodnyan, only a handful show the slogans, and even then, only in the background or off to the side. How did these graffiti survive? I think that's a, actually a very complex research question that I 
simply cannot address in this dissertation because it requires, I think, a broader methodological setup, and uh, I think that it goes even to into I don't know, metaphysics or something to 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 try to explain how these graffiti survived, how this spirit of Yugoslavia survived all this this long. Začelaj malo sad, digni se četiri u zrak i reci oh yeah, oh yeah. Začelaj malo sad, digni se četiri u zrak i reci oh yeah, oh yeah. Začelaj malo sad, digni se četiri u zrak i reci oh yeah, oh yeah. Začelaj malo sad, digni se četiri u zrak i reci oh yeah. Začelaj malo sad, digni se četiri u zrak Uzmi slobodno timeout i pusti meni majh Da ti pokažem šta znam, dobru volju da ti dam Al' ne pitaj me ništa kada kreni instrumental Već samo pusti glavu da se klima kako želi Nek te spontano spokreta tvoga tijela razveseli Ne tjeram te da plešeš, želim da osjetiš Ono što ja osjećam u trenutku kada repam Ono što i u meni sada teško je opisat Kad te muzika preuzme, ne postoji ništa Osim feelinga za beat koji vadi flow iz mene A jednom kada krenem Začelaj malo sad, digni se četiri u zrak i reci oh yeah, oh yeah. Začelaj malo sad, digni se četiri u zrak i reci oh yeah, oh yeah. Začelaj malo sad, digni se četiri u zrak i reci oh yeah, oh yeah. Začelaj malo sad, digni se četiri u zrak i reci oh yeah. Neki kažu da sam ljen, ali ja volim chillat Pogotovo kad u pozadini svira Jay Dilla Ili Mos Def, a Tribe Called Quest Ili Zmija Luis i mi volimo jazz Oh yes, i tako everyday, all day, no stress I tako everyday, all day, okay A tu i tamo nešto radit moram Ko na primjer hranit se bojama sunca, neba i mora I pusti svoju dušu neka iza Jay's tijela I da u ritmu breaka gore na dance floor u neba I onda kad se vrati, ja dodat čujem mic Za chillat će pored mene Bacat ćemo freestyle all night Začelaj malo sad, digni se četiri u zrak I reci oh yeah, oh yeah Začelaj malo sad, digni se četiri u zrak I reci oh yeah, oh yeah Začelaj malo sad, digni se četiri u zrak I reci oh yeah, oh yeah Začelaj malo sad, digni se četiri u zrak I reci oh yeah neki kažu da sam ljen, ali ja volim chill chill Kad je dobar džer, dobra ekipa i dobar dim Sve bude cool kada muzika je tu Kad u pozadini svira dobar opuštajući groove A kuanaru, come on sense 5D I sve bude još bolje kad si pored mene Ti baš ti, ti budi moj beat Ja bit ću tvoj MC, ti si bijeli papir A ja sam lutajući stih koji treba chill Od silnog lutanja želim se opustiti U tvojim nježnim rukama Uzmi me i vodi me negdje bilo gdje da chillamo zajedno ne zaboravimo na sve Uzmi me i vodi me Negdje bilo gdje da chillamo zajedno Zaboravimo na sve Da chillamo zajedno Zaboravimo na sve Da chillamo zajedno Zaboravimo na sve The Glass Istre article helped Eric's Vodnjan neighbors understand what he's doing staring at walls all the time But of course not everyone reads the paper So how do people react to your field research? The first reaction is amazement let's say oh okay you are doing this and they they usually start to to laugh because they, they found somehow funny that someone is going around photographing these writings but uh, as we start to 
talk. These people are usually critical, mostly toward the post-Yugoslav processes of, of the transition, because somehow these graffiti are some triggers of a retrospection and uh, a critical reflection toward the, 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 the broader social and political context in which they are situated uh, right now. So, first step is a look backwards. Aha, yes, these graffiti were written during World War II, in the aftermath of World War II. Then they usually start to talk about Yugoslavia, and then soon they change their focus toward the, the current situation in Croatia and make some comparisons and uh, usually start to criticize political and social processes. For some of them, they ins- inscribe some nostalgic uh, uh, meanings and uh, feelings into graffiti. Some of them were perceiving them only as historical artifacts and historical traces, so wanted to talk more about their historical backgrounds. What I think it's uh, important to say that people with whom I talked, uh, there were many of them who actually said, I don't ha- hate no one, I don't hate I don't know, Serbs, I don't hate uh, Bosnians, I, I, I am tolerant towards anyone if they are good persons and so on. So I think that these graffiti are not only uh, symbols from the past, but uh, tools for, uh, let's say, a critical reflection of both the past and the present, but even, uh, uh, let's say, uh, some symbols of, of uh, what it was to, to live in a multicultural country as Yugoslavia was. I'm trying actually to investigate uh, how this uh, rupture with the fall of uh, dissolution of Yugoslavia affected their meaning. So what, what is their meaning today? Ultimately, these graffiti are indeed an open-air archive of certain historical periods and how those events are interpreted today. In these writings on walls, you can read history, you can explore memory, you can trace ethnic, national and linguistic developments, you can see in them a reflection of political and even economic landscapes. They are documents that we can read, decipher and draw some conclusions from them, not about not only about the, the historical context of their production, but about the current state of affairs culturally, politically and so on, even economically. We have the touristic part of uh, Istria that is more touristified, where the facades are more, let's say, clean, quotation marks, clean, from graffiti in general. And then we have some isolated towns and villages where when I enter them to, to research graffiti, my, my, my first thought is, oh, oh my God, this looks like the post-war period with this border issue was 10 years ago and not <laughs> 80 years ago. So I think that these graffiti are very indicative even for this socioeconomic uh, development of the region where we can see some disparities. As for trying to preserve these artifacts... I think that some of them can be preserved as historical documents, even if now it's a little bit tricky, I think, to define their their value in this current ethno-nationalist context. I mean, how can you say that some pro-Yugoslav graffiti have to be preserved in this uh, context where even, I don't know, anti-fascist monuments cannot uh, survive the neo-fascist and nationalist interventions? Eric leaves the best of the tour for last. Oh, look at this one. Look at this one. This is it. At the end of Pian Street, I am left speechless despite having seen countless slogans by now. 
Spanning nearly the height of a door standing next to it, the graffito comprises a large five-pointed star above a Viva Stalin and a hammersickle at the bottom. It's well done, likely with a stencil, and its simplicity packs an unexpected punch. No, this one is really incredible. Yeah. Here it is untouched, but for evidence of the building's electric circuits having been replaced a few years ago. Whoever did the work was careful to work around the graffito. Wow, it's like uh, Walter Benjamin when he writes, writes about the aura of the artistic piece of, uh -huh. piece of art. Yeah. When you see it, that's the this. You are close to it, and then you can feel and right. it's not yeah. the thing about word. You can't reproduce it. They have this unique aura, and that's it. I mean, you see this and. Say, quite subversive even to have this here. It was subversive before 1948, it was subversive after the Tito-Stalin split, it was subversive throughout the socialist period, it was subversive in the 90s, and it's subversive now. In the time we stand before the graffito, I go from feeling outrage at seeing these communist symbols and the name of communism's greatest villain flaunting their presence in a European Union country, to feeling odd fascination underscored with goosebumps. I simply cannot look away. But I must go, and so finally I bid Eric farewell. And as the thoughts of subversion swirl through my soul, I drive to see more of the place that makes me whole. I see the wall writings from the 1940s in other Istrian towns. In the hilltop town of Buje, between Josip Brostito Square and Garibaldi Street, both Tito and Stalin continue to live long lives on walls of centuries-old houses. In Russia, or Arsia in Italian, a mining colony the Italians built in the 30s, dozens of graffiti remain. A local man told Eric the graffiti like, long live Tito or we want to live in Yugoslavia, were from the 90s and expressed people's allegiance to Tito and their desire to remain in Yugoslavia. Thus the slogans created in the 1940s made sense back then, during the creation of Yugoslavia, and they made sense in the period of Yugoslavia's dissolution. This is how a 75-year-old narrative can be reactivated for new political goals. It is in Krapan, a village up a one-lane road from Russia, that I see the ultimate writing on the wall. On an apartment building, above a ground floor window, uneven capital letters, the red paint chipping here, smeared over with cement there, proclaim Ovdje je Yugoslavia. Here is Yugoslavia. And so the dream I had as a boy, to go to Yugoslavia, the dream never fulfilled because my family wasn't allowed to travel there, and when we were, the country was no more, the dream comes back to life and true. Finally, even though the country no longer exists, I am in Yugoslavia. Next on Remembering Yugoslavia. We find this strong nostalgic current also in other, you know, places of the Western world. You know, nostalgia is one of the ideological currents also elsewhere. On the next episode of Remembering Yugoslavia, a true delight. A wide-ranging interview with Mitya Velikonia, a professor at the University of Ljubljana, who dedicates himself to the study of nostalgia and cultural memory of Yugoslavia and Yugoslav socialism. 
Tune in wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to make sure you don't miss out. That's all for this episode of Remembering Yugoslavia. Thank you for listening. Find additional information, photos of graffiti, and a transcript of this episode in the show notes at rememberingyugoslavia.com slash podcast. If you like this podcast, tell your friends and share on social media. And if you're feeling subversive, become a monthly supporter on Patreon. Outro music courtesy of Robert Petrich. Additional music by Nosense, Pa, and Petar Alargic, licensed under Creative Commons. Music by Dem Crew, Soundcheck Regas, and Erik Ušić played with permission and eternal gratitude. I am Peter Korchniak. Ciao.